We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this, this evening. I understand that y'all dealt with Ephesians earlier in the chapter, first part of Ephesians chapter 2 in Sunday school this morning. By the way, it's good to be in Sunday school today and studying the Bible and step by step. We want to um, work our way back into full schedule. We're about there, really, in many respects. So we're thankful for that. Just so that I don't forget, at the end of the service uh, this evening, Brother Justin Hoke wants to meet with uh, teenagers and uh, parents just to talk about a youth activity coming up right over here in the choir room. So if you'd keep that in mind, and that'll help me remember it. We have been um, on several, several other messages uh, prior to this. On Sunday evenings primarily, we've been dealing with discipleship. Um, what are some common, very general, common, but important, I believe, uh, objectives for a disciple? As I've said, it's not just a goal to get a disciple to go through a series of lessons. The goal in the lessons is to help that person become more of a disciple and more serious about their walk in the Lord. But these common objectives we've talked about, number one, a, a disciple wants to be, needs to be established in their new identity. Who are they? Who are we? We're not, the, we're not the same person we were, and we can't always go by what we do and what, how we think and what we see. We have to go by what God says we are, and so we want to be established in our new identity, and we need to be established in the Word of God as the source of our wisdom. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Established in the Word of God, and we'll be established in the Lord's church. That was the last one. The importance, we went through the book of Acts and just looked at so many instances where we see clearly. It's, it's so obvious. You know, we're not trying to make it evident. It is apparent that God worked through His churches. That's the primary way God works, and He still works that way today. Established in the Lord's church. And we're going to look at another objective in discipleship. This evening, and that is a, a disciple needs to be established in ministry. And uh, ministry is not just something we, we think of the minister being the preacher, he ministers, but all of us are ministers. And so we're going to look at that tonight in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you're able to stand, please stand with us tonight as we read God's Word. And it's sure good to see you on this Sunday night. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read a few verses beginning in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I just want to look here before we pray and call your attention to the uh, emphasis, the mention of works. Verse 9 says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That's a work. Created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. We see three times their works are mentioned. And it was, says in verse 10 that we should walk in them, that them refers to the good works that God has planned for us. So we're going we're gonna to look into this passage and some other passages this evening uh, about the importance of us being established in ministry. And let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We pray that you would help us and meet with us as you promised to meet with us. We ask you, Lord, that you would just open our eyes and hearts and work in our lives. You know our needs, all of us here individually, different situations, different settings, different backgrounds. But, Lord, all of us are here to learn and grow. I pray that, Lord, you would, uh, your word would have free course among us and work in our lives. And may we respond 
positively affirming your truth in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So one thing is very important in life in general, uh, in the Christian journey, but in this subject particularly, is, our, is a biblical view of works. And uh, the, what, is, what does the Bible mean here when it's saying this, works? If you were into studying the words of the Bible, you could look this word up. It comes from translated, I believe, from the Greek word ergon, like we would think of ergonomics or energy ergon and it, and it has to do it, it describes labor work is labor it's a dreadful thought isn't it work is labor work is effort work has to do with deeds work has to do with something that is done and when you think of religious works people think about like charitable deeds or you know donating time to the church or or maybe even giving money or or another religious work would be baptism, or in the New Testament time in the Jewish culture, uh, people associated uh, the Old Testament rite, R-I-T-E, rite of circumcision as a good work. These are all works, church membership, things that we do. And so that's what it's talking about, works. So, so in our text, we see two different views or applications of works. And the first has to do with the unsaved person. And that's in verse 8 where it talks about the way we're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. Now, the, the, at the center of this context is this matter of salvation. Notice it's a Bible term, verse 8, for by grace you're saved. Someone asked me very recently a good question. And they were very sincere in asking it. They said, what do you mean by saved? What does that word mean, saved? Is, you know, and we think of saved in a lot of different ways. You save some money, that's being saved. Or, you know, um, somehow you, you should have been and could have been and expected to be whooped up on by your parents and somebody saved you. That, we think about saved in a lot of different ways. So what is what does the Bible mean when it's talked about saved? It's a Bible term. By the way, we ought, to, we ought to use terms we find in the Bible. And saved is the term for the new birth, for conversion. Are you, are you saved? Can you say for sure I'm saved? What does that mean? I've been redeemed. I've been cleansed. I've been washed. I've been regenerated. I've been, I have been justified. I've been changed. Are you saved? That's what salvation is. And salvation, verse 9, is not of works. Our salvation has nothing to do with our works. Verse 8 says we are saved by grace through faith. Grace means a gift. It's, it's something that we don't deserve. It's given to us. It's grace. For, you're saved by grace. Salvation is not what you earn. You don't work for it. If you have any, any inclination in your mind that somehow doing something good is going to get you favor with God, you need to cleanse your mind of that because it's, it's false. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Look in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You know, if, if I could have a part in my salvation, I promise you, I would mess it up. It's not of us. We don't, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is what God does in us. And if we could have a part in our salvation, then the Bible says there we might boast of it. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast salvation is the gift of God clear language verse 8 it is the gift of God now does that does that gift go to all people indiscriminately no it goes to those who will receive it it goes to those who will believe on Christ God offers you a free gift of eternal life but if you don't accept it then you don't benefit from it it's a gift the way for the Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not of us. We don't do anything to deserve it. The only thing, the only thing that has to happen for us to be saved is we've got to trust in Christ. We've got to put our faith in the finished work of Calvary, not the, 
not the partial work of Calvary, but the finished work of Calvary. He paid it all and said it is finished, and by faith we receive that. So works have nothing to do with salvation. No, not good deeds, not baptism, not church membership. And by the way, you know this, many of you know this, and if you don't, you ought to think about it. Most other religions, even evangelical religions, really believe in some form of works. And the, and the Catholics, their whole system is a system of works for salvation. All the different pieces and parts, the moving parts of, of Catholic doctrine is a means to get salvation, beginning with christening or baptism as a child, all the way up through, even including marriage and including um, taking the, go, go the mass, all the way up to your, your what is it, the, fi- the final right, the final thing is your, at the end of your life. You know, that whole system is a part of salvation. But it's not biblical. You know, what, we've, what I sometimes refer to as Campbellite doctrine, and because it came from Alexander Campbell, is uh, the various strains of the Christian church or the church of Christ. The church of Christ or the Christian church or any various wings and forms of that believe that baptism is a part of your salvation. Baptismal regeneration. That's a work for salvation. Works has nothing. In my view, and I believe I think the Bible supports this, if you make salvation in some form or fashion, some degree, dependent on works, it's a false gospel. It's not the true gospel. Right? If you have to work for it, it's not a gift. And, and then and all, the, the, all the strain of Arminian religions. Arminian means that there, you have to do something to, you can lose your salvation. And that's a lot of them. A lot of, a lot of people believe that. You're, you're saved by grace, but you're kept saved by your good works. That's another gospel. We're not kept saved by our good works. We're kept saved by the grace of God and His His work. Salvation is a work of God. Works has nothing to do with it. It's all of Jesus. Amen? So we have to have a biblical view of works. But then, and by the way, if if you're listening to this tonight, And you're confused about the matter of salvation or you're confused about your salvation? Or you wonder if you've really been born again? My prayer is that God would just work in your heart and open your heart to see the urgency of being saved. The urgency of it. And and tonight could be your night. Right? Now is accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So you ought to trust Christ tonight. Come to Christ tonight. But what about works as far as Christians are concerned? Most of us in this room are saved, profess to be saved, and know what it is to be born again. So what if works have nothing to do with our salvation, what role do works have in our life? And a person could say, well, Works have nothing to do with our salvation. I'm saved, so why should I be concerned about works? I'm glad you asked the question. Because we're going to see it in the scripture tonight. Look what it says in verse 9, talking about the matter of salvation. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And then look in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are his, talking about we who are saved. We are his workmanship. You know, if you were to go to a craft fair, if you were to go to um, craft days at Silver Dollar City, if you were to go to watch a potter working at the wheel, it's a craft. They're working, it's a, it's a workmanship. And the potter is shaping the clay. It's, a, it's his work. It's, his, it's not the clay's work. The clay's not doing any work. The, the potter is doing the work. It's his workmanship. We, we marvel at people's workmanship. 
Well, a saved person is God's workmanship. We are His workmanship. He is working in us. He's working on us. We are His workmanship. And that work, He may be working in your life before you get saved. No doubt He probably has been working in a person's life before they get saved. God was working in my life before I got saved, but when I got saved, he was working in me in a different way. He wasn't working in me to bring me to salvation. He was working in me because I'm his workmanship, because he has a work to do in us. Let me hold your finger right here in Ephesians and go to the right to the book of Philippians. I want to notice two passages here in Philippians that speak to this. Philippians chapter 2, I mean, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, then we'll go to chapter 2. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, look what Paul writes. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We are a work in progress it would, be, it would be a legitimate question to ask, a valid question, if you were to ask your child or someone you're working with, maybe a disciple, you'd say, what, is, what do you think God is doing in your life? That's a valid question. You know why? Because God is working in us, if we're saved. And he began this good work in us, verse 6 says, and he is going to perform it, finish it. He's going to work on us. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until he finishes us. Until he he takes us from this life. Look at another verse in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. We're talking about worksmanship. We're talking about the work God does in a a Christian's life. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I love that verse. For it is God that worketh in you. Is God working in you? And what is God going to do in you? What is this promise that Paul wrote to the Philippians there about? He's going to work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's going to work in us to help us want to do what's right. And he's going to work in us to help us do what's right. Isn't that good? I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good plan, right? That's salvation. God, God begins a work in us. God works in us to will and to do. To desire and to uh, accomplish what God has for us to do. So we're talking about God God working in a Christian's life. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. And notice he says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This work that he's doing in us is created in Christ Jesus. It's because of Christ. It's through Christ. It's because of our relationship to Christ. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And now notice the next few words. Unto good works. See, he he doesn't save us because of our works. And salvation is a work that he begins in us. But a part of his purpose in working in us is that we might do good works. Look at it in verse 10. Which... Created, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, he saved us without any work of our own. He saved us with no respect to any religious goodness we had, but he saved us that we might do good works. Right? Now, Is that just a few people? Is that just one or two people? Is that just the people you think of come to your mind? If you think of people who serve and work and want to live for the... No, it's all people, all his children. All of his children he saves that we might do good works. 
Now that's interesting to me, but the next part of it is even more amazing. Look at it, he says, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now notice how he describes the works we are to do since we're saved. The work which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. These works that God wants us to do as his children are works that he planned before we were even born. He planned this. I believe that. I mean, I, I believe, and I, believe, I don't believe that's just for a few of us. I believe that's for all of us. You know, young people, and I understand why, they fret and worry and wonder and pray. I hope they pray. What does God want to do with my life? And they ought to. But you know what? The good news is God already has your life planned out. The challenge is not... Can I do in life what I want to do? The challenge is I want to discover what God wants for me and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Now, God doesn't want all of us to do the same stuff, right? What a boring world that would be. But the phrase there in verse 10, which God hath before ordained, that means God ordered it and planned it ahead of time. I believe that. I believe it because it's in the Bible. God has a plan for you. God has a work for you. God has a work to do in us, and God has a work to do through us. And the greatest work we can do, whatever, whatever our place in life, the greatest work we can do is to figure out what God wants us to do and do what God wants us to do. It's not, it's not, it's not I want to be like Brother Justin, or I want to... I want to be like Mrs. Morocco, or I want to be like whoever. I want to be like Joseph. It's I want to be, I want to figure out who I'm supposed to be, and I want, I want to do what God wants me to do. God has a work for you to do. Every one of you. Every one of us. He talks about that more in Ephesians chapter 4. If you'll look over there in Ephesians chapter 4, a couple of verses. He talks about how God, is, God has a plan for all of us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. Verse 7 and 8. But unto every one of us. Now, when the Bible says every one of us, let me just help you with something. That means every one of us. Right? But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So according to that passage and numerous other passages, we'll look at a couple of others. According to those passages, not only does God have a plan for us, but he gifts us to do what he wants us to do. We don't all have the same gifts, but we've all been gifted. Every one of us. If you look a little further over in that same chapter, he talks about the, what we sometimes call the ministry gifts, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And it says in verse 11, he gave those gifts for what purpose? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. To help the saints mature, help the saints become complete for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. And he talks about spiritual maturity and doctrinal integrity in verses 13 and 14, being doctrinally stable in verse 14, not tossed to and fro. Verse 15, growing up into him in all things. And then look in verse 16. From whom the whole body, talking about the church, fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. What that verse is telling us, what this whole passage is telling us, that God has a purpose for every member, and when God is working in us, God will work through us that every member, that's what the Language says, verse 16 talks about the whole body. 
And then it says, talks about every joint and every part is contributing. Every member contributing. There are no members that are not contributing. Think about your own body. That's the, that's the analogy. That's what God wants us to see. I mean, parts of my body that I cannot see. My knuckles and my skin, my cells. You know, the blood that courses through our vein. Every part of the body, the muscle that pumps the blood, every part of our body is working. Every part is working. I don't want any part of my body to go on vacation, to go on strike, to say, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like, my pinky could say, you know, I had a little bout. Um, first time this has ever happened to me some, some months ago with gout, a bout with gout. And it was not pleasant, right? I'm not going to ask how many people have done that. I know some people have. But you know what? I was very unhappy with my big toe because it was causing me a lot of pain. The point is, every part of our body ought to be functioning. Now, that's the, that, but, but Paul's not writing about a physical body. He's using the physical body as an illustration. He's talking about the spiritual body. Every part of the body should be functioning, should be working, not just breathing, not just occupying space, but, but finding out what is my contribution, what is my part, what am I supposed to be doing. And some people could look at that and say, oh no, the preacher wants me to do something. And you know, you could look at it that way, but it's not the preacher that wants people to do, it's God that wants people to find out what they're supposed to do and be doing it based on the Bible. So we're talking about a disciple. A disciple is established in their new identity. A disciple is established in the word of God. A disciple is established in ministry. You know, when, when, I, when the Lord by his grace saved us, my wife and I, when he saved us, we were saved and forever saved and would never ever be any more saved than we were saved the moment we're saved. Isn't that good to know? And our works had nothing to do with that. Good thing. We had no works to offer. But some people look at salvation like it's the end. I'm saved and I'm okay. I'm going to just tread water till Jesus comes. Or, but no. No, that was the beginning of a new life when we got saved. And a part of that life is finding out what God wants to do through us. What is our role? How do we contribute? How does God want to use us? And as I said, God, God saves us that we might serve him. I, does that make sense to you? God doesn't save us because we serve him. God saves us that we might serve him acceptably. And we've already looked at this. I'm going to give you several thoughts, but the first one is this. We are preordained to serve. I, I really believe this. That every person in this room that's saved or will ever be saved, God has a plan for you That he, he planned before you were ever, ever born. He planned that for you. Now, what if you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go through life and I'm not going to serve God and I'm just going to be selfish and I'm not going to, I'm going to do what I want to do, but I'm not really going to ask God what he wants me to do. That doesn't mean you're not saved, but it does mean that what you're doing is not what God intended for you to do. We ought to ask God to show us what he would have us to do. God, what do you want me to do? And by the way, if it's going to work, we have to be willing to do what God wants us to do. Right? We ought to be willing. What does God... What, I mean, think of... Young person, I'm looking at several young men here tonight. And I'm thinking about what God has for you. And, I, and God has just given me a revelation. I'm fixing to tell every one of you what God wants you to... No, I'm just kidding. What if God wanted you to be a preacher? What if God wanted you to be a pastor? What if God wanted you to be a missionary? What if, what if God wanted you to use your talents and ability to further his work in some way? 
What if God planned that for you? What if that's right? You say, well, I don't know that I want to do that. Well, you ought to want to do whatever God wants you to do. Right? God, what do you want me to do? So we're preordained to serve. And then second of all, we're, we're individually gifted to serve. And we already talked about that in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. But let's look at another place. Look in Romans for a little bit. Romans chapter 12. We're talking about how God equips us, gifts us to serve Him. Romans chapter 12. And... I hope you'll maybe make a note or put something in the, some of these passages and go back to look at them if, you, if you're... Um, it'd be worth spending more time on this subject than we'll do tonight. But let's just look at an example. Romans chapter 12 and verse... Let's begin already in verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. There it is again. To every man. What he's saying here is for every person. To every man that is among you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't have an inflated view of ourselves. But to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man. Every man. The measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body. Here's the illustration. You've got a body. You've got many members in your body. My wife had a trip to the dentist this week because one of the members of her body needed attention, a tooth. A little tooth. Why why would a tooth need attention? A tooth, you don't see the tooth. Is it important? It's important if you want to eat. It's important if it hurts. Every, as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, the same role, the same responsibility. So we, so he makes, so my body has all these different members. They don't all have the same responsibility, the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now that's an important thing too. Everyone is uniquely gift, but we belong to each other. We're members of one another, right? My, you know, my thumb is a, is a part of this body. It's attached. It, it, it relates to my whole body. I rely upon it, and it's, it's got a function. It doesn't always work like it should. By the way, the older you get, the more these different body parts, especially the joints that he talked about, you start noticing them more. Every part is related to each other. And so here's how God looks at it. We don't always look at it. Here's how God looks at it. If you you could get all the members of our church in this room together that are truly members of this local assembly, then everyone is a member of that body and functions as a member contributing, cooperating member of that body. Now we have to learn, we have to, we ought to see ourselves that way because that's the way God sees us. Having then gifts, verse 6 says, differing. We don't have the same gifts. Do gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us? And he lists some of these gifts: prophecy and faith and ministry and teaching and exhortation and giving and leading or ruling and mercy, all these different gifts. We don't all have the same gifts, but all of us are gifted, and you are. You are gifted. If If you are a Christian and a member of a church, you are gifted to be a help and blessing in that church. You can't prove any other thing from the Bible it's just you can't do it you might as well not even try because you cannot do it so all of us are uniquely gifted all of us don't do the same thing but all of us are equipped and being equipped by God to serve and just another place go to uh, 1 Corinthians 
just to the right a little bit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. By the way, um, in case you've never heard this or maybe forgotten it, uh, none of these lists of spiritual gifts are complete. You have several different lists in the Bible, and I think there's spiritual gifts that aren't even in the Bible. Not right? Like the gift of complaining. That's you know, that's not in the Bible, but apparently no, I'm just kidding. The gift of gab. First Corinthians chapter 12 is another list. Let's just look at a couple of verses though. Look in verse 18. First Corinthians 12, 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. God puts people in the body as he chooses, as it pleases him. He, he puts people in the body as it pleases him. And, and in this passage, look in verse 14, it says the body, this is similar to Romans 12, it's similar to Ephesians chapter 4. For the body is not one member but many. And here he talks about the foot. The hood. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Isn't that funny? If the foot shall say. If the foot shall say, I'm not, is that make it not of the body? Is the ear shall say, I'm not the eyes, I'm not of the body? If the whole body, verse 17, were an eye, then how could you hear? Where were the hearing? It's a very simple, practical, but I think very powerful. Every member of the body is important. It's not one member, it's many members. The foot has its purpose, the ear has its purpose, the nose has its purpose, the eye has its purpose. Every member has a purpose. You know what would be a sad thing to me? If someone was in church, they, they, they're saved, they're a member of the church, and they could disappear and not be missed. That would be sad. Could you imagine you just wake up in the morning, your right arm is gone? You say, oh, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> no, you do notice it, because you can't brush your teeth without it. Or you can't brush them as well. But you know what? There are people in church that accept the fact that they fill a place, a chair, um, they're not serving in any capacity, not involved in ministry in any way, you know, that's not healthy, that's not good. It's not good for the body, and it's not good for the person. And the Bible, I believe, brings that out. So we have been preordained to serve, we have been individually gifted to serve, and finally, we've been commanded to serve. We've been commanded to serve. Go to a verse that I just love over in the book of Titus. Right before Hebrews, you have Philemon, and before that is Titus. Titus chapter 3. I, I love this verse. It's just packed. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. Titus, of course, was left on an island of Crete. Paul had him there to ordain elders, to train and prepare and ordain pastors of churches. And so he says this in verse 8, Paul says to Titus, this is a faithful saying. Here'd be a good verse to memorize. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. I want you to continually be affirming this, reminding people of this teaching this, preaching this, emphasizing this. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God, those are people who are saved, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Paul said, Titus, keep urging them, keep reminding them, that if they're saved, they ought to be careful to maintain good works. I'm talking about ordained to serve, established in ministry. And the last part of that verse is, is pretty important too. These things are good and profitable unto men. It's good and profitable 
It's good and profitable, Titus, to remind people of this stuff. And it's good and profitable for the person that's ministering to be serving. It's good and profitable for the one that's serving. And it's good and profitable for those who are being helped by their ministry. It's good and profitable. We've been commanded to serve. You know, uh, Galatians was written to um, address the fact that there were people who were mixing works and salvation together. And, uh, and Paul wrote to those people in Galatians, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We're free from those legalistic requirements to be saved. But he later says in that same chapter in Galatians chapter 5, And use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We're not free. I was a bondage to slave. Romans chapter 6 describes that we were enslaved to sin. But thank God that Jesus set us free. But he didn't set us free to serve ourselves. He set us free to serve others. By love, serve one another. You know, what, you know why we serve each other? Because God commands it, but because, it, because of his love in our heart. By love, serve one another. You know, serving requires a servant's heart. A measure of humility. And by the way, all we're trying to do is follow God's command and be more like Jesus. Right? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. He's made in the likeness of sinful man. He, he, we're to, let this mind be in you. You know who the greatest servant of all is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the greatest servant. I might feel too, too good sometimes. I might feel above washing people's feet, but Jesus wasn't. In, in the Old Testament, there was a special provision made uh, for slaves in, in Exodus where if a man came to you and served you for a period of time after that period of time you had to free him you had to let him go and provision is made in that passage for if he came with a wife or came without a wife if he came without a wife and gained a wife if I'm remembering right I should look read up refresh my memory but if he came with that, with a, without a wife and gained a wife, he's free to go. But his wife stays. But then it says, if he were to say to you, if this, if this man who served you for seven years, if he were to say to you as the master, I love you. I love my master. I love my family. There's nowhere I'd rather go. I want to continue to serve you. I'm free. I'm free to go and do as I please, but I love you so much. I want to stay and serve you. Then he says, You take him and take a bore, I think the word is an all bore hole in his ear, and it's a mark that he's going to stay with you and serve you with forever. It's a great picture, I think. May God help us to get to the place that we. We don't want to serve anyone else but our master. We love him. We love him. Serving is not, we can all lose our way. We can all lose our perspective. I've done it myself. We get to, you know, thinking, you know, I've done all this and why, why isn't anybody else carrying their share of the load, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Every time we get there, we just need to have a little gut check. 
And remember, we're not serving people alone. We're serving the Lord. Serving requires a servant's heart. I love my master. I want to serve him. This is the life of a disciple. A life of a disciple is not just gaining information and filling your head with Bible knowledge. That's a part of it. But the part of it that's, that's supposed to live out in the way we live our lives and the way we serve other people. So I just want to insert, encourage us all tonight. And many people in this room are involved, very involved in ministry and service. But, but, but maybe, maybe you're thinking, that's not, I, really, I don't really know if I'm taking this the way I should be taking it. Maybe you even would be willing to admit, I don't, I'm not necessarily inclined to serve the Lord. You ought to ask yourself, why? Why? Is there some special provision made for certain people in the Bible that they're just get a pass, they're an exemption, they don't really serve the Lord? I don't think that's, if, I mean, I've read the Bible through a few times. I don't think I've ever seen that. Why is it? Because being like Jesus is being a servant. That's what Jesus is about. And so you say, well, how can I figure out what God wants me to do? And I'm going to give you just a couple of thoughts. Number one, just begin helping people. Find stuff to do. Notice things that need to be done. Not for the sake of complaining about it, but doing them. I noticed when I came in today that uh, the tall grass out here had been cut. I don't know how many of you noticed that right here on that little hillside. And the reason I notice is because I always notice it needs to be cut. And I've been thinking about it. My wife and I have talked about it. We need to remember to take our trimmers up there and cut that. But somebody beat us to it. You ought to look for things like, what could I do? That's why people are on cleaning teams and why people help in the nursery and why people sing in the choir and play instruments and do different things. Sometimes they're noticed, sometimes they're not noticed, but, but find practical things to do. You say, do you really believe those things matter? It all matters. It all matters. Or maybe you say, well, I, I, I just would like some help with that. Well, discuss with somebody that's in leadership. And I'm not just talking about myself, but I could talk, but other people, you know, maybe, maybe someone could help you find a place to serve. I personally believe the more a person gets involved in serving, the more they discover about ministry. The joy of serving. It's, it's, you know, you may think this is crazy, but with the right heart attitude, you can enjoy cleaning toilets or whatever. You can. You know why? Because we're doing it for the Lord. And you can discover some things about your spiritual gifts. Now, this is a reality. I think we all would realize this. If not, we ought to think about it. But we live in a selfish world. But the world that we've been saved into is not a selfish world. We live in a body of flesh that wants to pamper itself and be served rather than serve. But our Savior called us to follow his example. That's what he said when he washed those disciples' feet. If he had just done it and just left it alone, it had been powerful. But he added some commentary to it. He says, I've done this for an example to you. We're to help people. We're to, we're to push through our inhibitions and get involved in helping people. Ministering to people. Encouraging people. It could, be as, it could be as simple as just going around and welcoming people in church. Especially if you see somebody you never know. You say, oh man, I don't know what to say to them. Let me help you. Hello. You might want to write these down. Hello, it's good to have you today. Thank you for coming. Are you from around here? You know, I'm talk to people. You say, that's just not my personality. Then, then change your personality. We're talking about helping people. Ministering to people. Encouraging people. God will help us. A disciple needs to be established in ministry, in service. We have been saved that we might 
serve him. I have no idea what these little kids are thinking up here when they're singing. I don't think some of them are. <laughs> thinking or singing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But you know what they're doing? They're ministering. They're helping. They're a blessing. I love being blessed, don't you? I like music that blesses and teaching that blesses and fellowship that blesses. But God didn't save us just to be blessed. He saved us to be a blessing. Everybody in this room has that potential. So a disciple is saved to serve. Let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> With our heads bowed, would you think about yourself? Don't think about what I'm going to do when I get out of here, or where your friends are, or all that. Don't, just don't even think about that. Think about yourself. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Have you been born again? If not... Doesn't that concern you? Tonight. Tonight. You could come to Christ tonight. Receive the gift of eternal life. Be born again. Start the journey of finding out what God has for your life. You ought to come tonight. And if you're saved then ask yourself, what does God have for me? How can God use me to be a blessing and a help to other people? Father, we thank you tonight for your word that guides us and teaches us. And, and Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a disciple, a follower of Christ. And Father, we thank you for your plan for us. That, Lord, you not only save us by grace through faith, but you have a plan for us. We are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Before ordained. God, we want to know your plan. We want to walk in your plan. We want to, we want to serve as members of the body in ways that would please you and help others.